0: Hello, my name is Sebastian castro Nicolescu, and I will be having a conversation with Son Kit for the New York City Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. It is July 23rd, 2018, and this is being recorded at the New York Public Library offices in Midtown Manhattan. Hey, Kit. Hey. <laughs> How are you doing?
1: Pretty good. How are you?
0: Pretty good. Um, So maybe we could just get started by asking where do you call home or where do you consider yourself to be from?
1: Yeah, um, I was born and raised in Los Angeles okay. and yeah, I was there till I was 18 and then I moved to the East Coast for college and I've been there since. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Um. So what was early childhood in Los Angeles like?
1: Uh, it was super interesting. I grew up in Koreatown um, in L.A., which is, I think it's the largest Koreatown in the U.S. If, like, I don't know, probably by population, but also definitely by just size of the the zoning area. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I went to public elementary school where it was like 85% Korean kids, even yeah. though it was just because it was just at the district. Yeah. Um, and then it was like, I... My family is in education, so I went to like a preschool that my aunt started, starting when I was like two and a half. Okay. Um, and then just like kind of, and then after school ended because elementary school ends at like I don't know two whenever school ended, <laughs> it's like I would go to after school programs run by my aunts and uncles. So it was like very much growing up like okay. within Koreatown's like educational community yeah. and like immigrant community. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Do you know how it got to be that, like, your family was kind of, like, deeply involved in the educational community?
1: I don't know exactly how it started. Uh Because I feel like the origin story starts with my oldest aunt, who made the preschool in 1989. Um, And actually, my mom runs that school now. And (laughs) uh, it's one of the oldest running, like, preschools in Koreatown um, at the moment. And yeah, I, my aunt is just, just like a bunch of stuff. So like she is an incredible, formally trained artist and like, you know, just just beautiful like uh, replicas of masterworks like an oil. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just the product of like her not really having like a, a thing. like a a, like an occupation so to speak
0: okay
1: um and so i think she just saw like a lack in the community of like really tough korean style education for children
0: Mm
1: -hmm. tiny children (laughs) (laughs) Um, so she made it herself okay so you know it's like like you learn how to read and write at two and a half as soon as you start like there's piano lessons that you can like add-ons on top of the curriculum there's you know there's ballet there's taekwondo there's like Spanish language Korean language English language and like these are toddlers so <laughs> uh, yeah it was one of those okay. okay and then I think everybody just kind of used uh, her foothold to get into other aspects of education Okay.
0: Um, yeah and so what was your experience of what you describe as that kind of like tough Korean education
1: uh hard to say cuz it was just so normal um, yeah, yeah. to me but at the same time it was like i I'm, i was like a very good student mm-hmm. um like you know i was very good at test taking and like <laughs> just you know following instructions and all that so it it was like a partially like i didn't need the after-school program, so to speak, but that it they always kind of kept everybody in the programs like maybe two grade levels above
0: mm-hmm. the
1: the public school like expected levels. Um, so it was just kind of like this thing that you did for four hours after you got out of school mm-hmm. because your parents didn't have time for you. <laughs> that was like, um, yeah, but it kind of cemented that uh, that like model minority sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it was you know I was a kid, so there were like small rebellions. Like, you know, I didn't want to be in this after-school class where I had to like write a story or something. So I would just be like, I want to practice typing. Can I go type my story? And then I would just go to like where the computers were and play Tetris. Okay. Because like
0: there was no supervision. In <laughs> but yeah, it was one of those. Okay. Okay. Um. And so maybe then like, what so. You went to these kind of like um, these preschool programs in mm-hmm. the community. And so did you enter public school after that? Yeah.
1: So it was like I was I started off like super young in the preschool programs. And then at when kindergarten rolled around, um, I went to public kindergarten. But then um, L.A. USC kindergartens had like, I think, two. Like shifts, so to speak. I think there was like a seven a.m. till eleven thirty, like mm. kindergarten class, and then there was one that was like noon till three, or I don't exactly know what the afternoon one was, because I went to the morning one, and, and I would get picked up from the morning one and then go to mm. the the preschool kindergarten, and then do the rest of the day till six p.m. Oh, wow. um, okay. Yeah, and then that when that program ended, it was like I went to the same elementary pre- public elementary school, um, and classes let out, like you know. Two thirty or whenever classes let out, I don't remember. And then the after school bus would come and pick up a bunch of us and take us to the after school where we'd be there till six. So, <laughs> so it was like doing both until I think sixth grade. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, and yeah, and what were you most interested in school or outside of school, or like what kind of child were you?
1: Um, I didn't really have a personality till I was like thirteen. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> I actually, um, I had a cousin, I have, I have a cousin who is the same age as me and we grew up uh, super close, we went to all of these schools together, um, like we lived together at one point, we had chicken pox together, like all that stuff and she is super, has a super loud personality um, and, is, and was like a very bossy child and uh, so she would just kind of, you know, we would play anything, do anything and she would pick the role that she want and then assign me something and then I would just be like, okay, yeah, cool. That's fine. (laughs) And just kind of go with it. So it's like, I'm trying to think of things that I was interested in. I read a lot. I know that I read a lot and I really liked historical fiction. Um, But other than that, I just have like vague memories of like playing Power Rangers or like (laughs) digging around in my grandma's uh, backyard area actually her backyard was really cool because she had a bunch of like um she had like a pomegranate tree and a persimmon tree uh, and like stuff that I just completely took for granted jujubes um yeah stuff that I just like don't know where to get anymore I was just (laughs) like yeah cool this is just something that's (laughs) readily available to me
0: (laughs) uh yeah okay um and so you said that you Reflecting back, Mm I feel like you, like, had a personality until you were, like, 13. Oh, yeah. So, like, when do you feel like you first started to, like, become a person? (laughs) Um, That was, I went to, so I ended up going to a Catholic school
1: for, a Catholic all-girls school for sixth grade, because LAUSD public schools end at fifth grade, and then the public elementary schools are six through eight. but then my, with my district, um, my parents didn't want me to go to the middle school that most of the... Okay. The kids from my elementary school went to, because um, they're like, oh, it's dangerous, like whatever. Most of my friends went there, but mm-hmm. they were pretty adamant about not sending me to the public schools. So uh, they had me go to Immaculate Heart, all girls Catholic school, where two of my older cousins were attending at the time, mm-hmm. um, and the the private school. There's a circuit of really elite private schools in LA. There's like six of them or something. You know where all the celebrities send their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but all those start in seventh grade. So there's already that sort of like class discrepancy where the private elementary schools actually go through sixth grade. So you can have a seamless transition, but the public elementary schools stop at fifth. Um, so there was that thing. So they're like, yeah, just go to Immaculate Heart for sixth grade. You're going to and apply to all of these other schools for seventh grade. If you get in, you're going to switch to these private schools. If you don't, you'll keep going to Immaculate Heart. I was like, okay. Um, and when I got to Immaculate Heart, that was – I. I my cousin Grace did the exact same thing. Um, and we got placed in separate homerooms, um, for our first year. And that was the first time that I didn't, that I would be spending the entire day without hanging out with Grace. Um, and so I was just kind of like adrift. I didn't know how to make friends without her making friends for me. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't really know how to like do anything. Um, I also was like, uh, like, growing up, you know, everybody in elementary school was going through their tomboy phase, so to speak. Um, And I hadn't grown out of that. And, uh, and it was like in, I was in a Catholic all girls school. And so like, you know, the uniforms were a certain way. And I was just refusing to, to wear like the skirts. And so I would like go get the really uncomfortable pants that and like be the only person wearing them. And it was just kind of like, I wasn't really sure how I wanted to present myself or interact with people and make myself available to do that um i also this was also the first time that i was in an environment that was predominantly not korean Mm. um so there was a lot of stuff that was happening i remember i managed to make one friend who uh was also like oh i guess like she also wore pants so it was like great like (laughs) we're gonna just be the friends who wear pants together and she was white and she invited me over to her house one time and that was the first time I'd ever been inside a white person's house and I was just really really shocked that I was walking inside with my shoes on I the only the only things I could do were like take cues from tv shows I was just like (laughs) pass the peas like I don't really know like how people like Mm -hmm. um so yeah that was that was kind of like a barrier to becoming closer friends I think was just like yeah this person's cool but I legitimately have no uh, understanding of how to interact with with you or like your mom or you know just anything mm-hmm. um she was also really into like all these like what is it blink 182 like or blint biscuit I don't I don't know <laughs> no there was like good charlotte she was really into good charlotte and I was just like I don't know I don't really listen to this I was really into at the time (laughs) so there was just like a lot of stuff happening where I I, like didn't know what to do and so I think through that friction maybe I started like developing or having an idea of the person that I wanted to be which I made a bunch of like really awkward choices um but (laughs) yeah so like that was probably where I got started my personality and then in seventh grade I ended up going to one of those like private school like I did get into like a bougie private school um another all-girls school and uh like what? somebody got me into anime very quickly very early on and that ruined the rest of my life
0: <laughs> yeah okay so awkward choices what were some of them
1: it was like oh
0: man yeah i'm about to get into some really embarrassing stuff here
1: um it's like I remember, like I said, I was really into rap. I mean, thinking back on it, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this in the last, like, you know, five to eight years when I first was introduced to the idea of anti-blackness and like figuring out how to be like a yellow person um, in terms of like the racial stratification in the US. But I was thinking a lot about me being a kid and um, I was like, how I don't remember how I got into rap. I think I got into rap with Eminem. But, like, it just, which was, like, once again, bad choice. But, like, um, but then it turned into this whole thing where, like, you know, I was trying to, like, sag my pants or, like, wear do-rags. And I just had no context whatsoever of, like, how to be myself when I couldn't relate to white people. Um, Like, and so the narratives presented to me were, like, if you can't be white people... Then, then there's black people. Like you know, it's it's like that's what I had available to me. Uh, yeah, and I remember having this conversation with Grace in the back seat of the car, like in some mall parking lot, where she was like, "If you weren't Korean, like, what, like, what would you be?" And I was like, "Probably, probably black." And she's like, "What, really? I'd be white." <laughs> and <laughs> and we're like nine or something. <laughs> like, yeah. So it's um, what that was probably like one of my more awkward choices, like just trying to. To like do that um, for a couple of years. And then, you know, and then I got into a, like getting into anime was just like a whole nother thing where I'm just like, I'm just, I guess I'm just going to cosplay forever, um, <laughs> but like in real life. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just, oh, and around then I was like getting super heavy into church because that's what Korean Americans do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was that element of it. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, it was very. Over no, time, all around, I, I I wish there was some way to like pull up photos because I feel like that would <laughs> that would really cement what I'm trying to get across.
0: But. You can feel free to send them <laughs> after this if you're still willing. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. So, so I think what's interesting about what you're talking about is that you're kind of like between all of these different institutional like schemas mm-hmm. of both like race and gender. Yeah. So like I'm wondering. And, like, you know, like, navigating them as someone who maybe doesn't have a clear path between Mm -hmm. all of them. And so I'm wondering, like, you talk about, like, getting really into, like, the Catholic church and, like, going to an all-girls school and the kind of, like, at least from an outside perspective, what is seen as, like, gender disciplining, Mm -hmm. like, within that space. And I'm wondering about how that kind of, like, was happening for you.
1: Yeah, um... So, actually, it was a, a Protestant church. It's a okay. Korean Protestant church. Oh, it's, like, okay, a whole okay. thing. Um, but, yeah, going to an all-girls school, it, was, it wasn't it was something that I was consciously aware of. Like, mm-hmm. nobody, like, I didn't have any trouble, like, with it. And because I was also simultaneously getting into church at the same time, I, it, it didn't even cross my mind that I could be queer in, mm-hmm. in any way. Like, that was just, like, not a possibility, especially because I was attracted to men. And, like... Cis men. And so it's like, for me, as long as I had that, I didn't have to think about anything else. Um, And so, like, that with the whole church thing, just being like, oh, yeah, like, I'm just a tomboy. I'm just... And I'm like, I am a 16-year-old tomboy. Like, you know, (laughs) it just continued. Mm -hmm. And um, there was some... Like, it it wasn't that, like, my peers were necessarily gender policing me within this, like, uniform environment. Mm -hmm. Um, It was actually kind of an interesting interaction as I uh, stayed in this because it was like a six years of that bougie all-girls private school. And um, it was, I don't really know how to explain it, but something kind of weird happened towards the end of my time there, which was maybe around senior year. Um, Like, I would never call myself popular, but for some reason I had developed some sort of clout that I just didn't understand like my friends would would come like meet up with me for lunch and they would be like we spent all of English class talking about you and it's like a class taught by a teacher that I've never had Uh um or like you know we're having like our all like our grade meetings our each class my class had about 96 students so like 96 students in a room and, like, if I wanted to say something, I could just raise my hand and, like, I would be given the opportunity to speak. And it was like that, that was kind of weird. And, like, I think, like, it, to me, it felt like this weird thing where um, maybe I was the closest thing to a dude that was available at a time where, like, anybody who had a boyfriend, whenever he, he would come to campus, sign in, or he was like, oh my God, like, like, did you see that? There's a there's a dude on campus. This guy on campus. Like, um, and yeah, it was just like a very strange thing to to not be like negatively alienated, but to to know that that something was going on that like I was not actively trying to do or participate in or be. Um, this is of course like my own like post- like speculation yeah. about. This interaction. But yeah, it was definitely like I, I did stick out. There are photos of me from junior year where uh, we had this junior senior rivalry thing and where like the seniors and juniors would all get their own like class shirts and like the themes that they're doing were supposed to like play off of each other or something we're supposed to prank each other, but then something happened the year above us where they damaged some people's cars. So like, they didn't let us do any pranks. And so in junior year, I think our theme was something like princessy or whatever. I like, don't remember. I just know that our shirts were hot pink and like everybody except for me seemed to have been wearing like tiaras and mini skirts along with the pink shirts. And me being myself, uh, I refused to do that, Participated in that element of it. So there are photos of me wearing the pink shirt, but I, uh, I went to a party city and I bought like a pimp costume. Um, it was like a, a, money print jacket with like a red velvet fedora and like, you know, and just like, like laying, laying on my side in front of like all my friends who are posing like in their tiaras. And I was just like, this is just, this is just the person that I decided that I was going <laughs> to brand myself as. Um, and um. In my tiny-ass school. So, yeah. I think... I forget what the initial question was that got me here, but... Yeah, that was kind of the experience of... Of being, like, a queer person that didn't have that vocabulary and didn't consider myself to be queer. Yeah. Yeah, looking back, I'm just like, wow, I was gay as fuck. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Mm hmm Or queer and trans, like, yeah,
0: yeah. in that language. Yeah, so what what was that kind of, like, um, experience or that kind of, like, development of that vocabulary?
1: Um, Yeah, so I actually didn't start really thinking about my gender. I spent a lot of time wondering about my sexuality once I got to college, and then I decided that I was going to stop doing the church thing, and then... um, that gave me, and then I, I got into actually an, uh, an acapella group <laughs> when I was trying to make new friends, and pretty much everybody in that group was some type of queer, and I remember just like at the first party where they like picked me up at midnight to like sing me into the group or whatever, and we're all just like drunk and talking, and I was outside smoking cigarettes with two of them, and they were, you know, they were just talking and then like talking about their sexuality, and they turned to me and said, like, what about you? And I was just like, I have not thought about that. I've not allowed myself to think about that or anything like that. And I was like, well, I, I guess I, could be into girls. <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, lol, me too. Everybody can like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so like having those friends um, over the course of college was like really helpful in, in me thinking like specifically about um, my sexuality and just kind of working through that. But then because I was so focused on figuring that out uh and like you know being like oh my god maybe i'm bisexual oh wait but bisexual like there's more than two genders so like that's the wrong term i'm gonna use the term bisexual as i'm attracted to my own and other genders and then i'm just like this is too much and i hate this um and then also being like am i really queer am i doing this for validation like from my queer friends like all of this stuff and so that kind of overshadowed any thoughts that i had regarding gender especially because i was um I was dressing much more femme for the first time in my life in college um, between like the end of freshman year and the end of sophomore year. And so I was just like, yeah, this the, this feels fine. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of distracting. But towards the end of college, I was thinking kind of actively about like just the, the like how I actually wanted or, or felt comfortable presenting as, um, especially because, like, <clears throat> my entire life, I, like, I grew up with, like, all of the, the, the bathroom and changing room anxieties. I had short hair all the way through college. My voice has always been like this. I'm not on HRT. Um, and so it's, like, this thing that I've always kind of lived with and I've normalized, but that I was thinking again about, like, now that when I was like more femme, I didn't have to think so much about that. But then it also like, it never left me. Um, those anxieties never left me. And so I ended up thinking a lot about like, does, do I feel like valid now the way that I'm presenting? Do I, is does this feel right in the way that like, it makes sense for me? Is it because um, like I'm expecting to have all these fears and anxieties that this doesn't sit right with me or is it because of something else and then i always think back to like i i remember when i was 12 and going to that catholic school for that year i remember just like walking through the softball field one day and like i don't know what i was thinking about that i ended up there but it's like i remember thinking that i was so fucked up it must be because i Eight, my male twin in the womb and I have an imbalance of testosterone and like it's like things like that kept reoccurring to me like those moments where I just like was trying to revert it back to like some some problem of biology um and yeah and then also at the same time I was on Tumblr and this is Tumblr on in like 2000 like 10 ish 2010 through 2012 when like uh I was on Tumblr before that too but I thought uh, it was just like a place where people posted like pictures of meadows. And so I was doing that. And then uh, I realized I worked in an anime convention at some point there. And people used to ask me for my DeviantArt at the conventions. And then they started asking me for my Tumblr. I was like, wait a second, what? Like I have a Tumblr, but like there's pictures of meadows in it. Um, and, it and then there was this whole like, like fandom community that I didn't know about. And so I got into that. And then there was a lot of intersection between the fandom community and like social justice. Um, Interestingly, I mean, not so interestingly, if you read, like, if you get into, like, the fandom theories of it, like, it makes total sense. But to me, it was, like, very uh, much like, oh, this is, like, a a place I didn't expect to find these conversations. I was actually getting called out a lot because I was doing a lot of stuff that was, like, super uh, anti-black or, like, fucked up in all these ways. I just, like, didn't know. And so that was kind of the impetus for me to, to start researching and, like, having more terminology and, like, figuring out how these things Apply to me, like the ideas of gender queerness or non binary and how like trans identity works was, uh, like not like hand fed to me by Tumblr, but definitely like I got pointed in the right direction mm. by just being part of the supernatural fandom. <laughs> um, okay. yeah, and so that was kind of like where maybe in 2012 was like when I was actively thinking about how these terms fit. I always think of it like the Like a coat that you buy because you think you like it, but you don't think you can wear it out yet Mm. was how I felt about it. Mm. And so it's kind of sitting in my closet waiting for the day that I feel confident enough to put it on. Um, And that's how I felt about the word genderqueer specifically. Um, And then I put it on shortly after I graduated and then pretty soon I had non-binary hanging in the closet and then and I was like okay like that's the one and then eventually like that was like eventually I had trans hanging in that closet and like just trying on these terms when they feel right uh, was kind of how I built up to just being like yeah this is this is fine I can also choose to change how I identify whenever um but yeah it's nice to like be able to grow into things
0: so Okay, so Tumblr and, like, trying on the terms around, like, yeah. 2012, so you were finishing college at that point? Yeah, I graduated
1: in 2013, so, okay. yeah,
0: okay. that was towards, like, junior year-ish okay. of college. Um, which college, what major, the kind of oh. standard? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, I was at Brown
1: University, double majoring in visual art and literary arts. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, and so, okay, so I want to backtrack a bit and mm-hmm. maybe talk about fandom. Yeah. And like how that was a kind of like community or space that you entered into mm-hmm. and how you first got into it and like what the dynamics of that was.
1: Yeah. Um so when I got when I was introduced to anime at age 13 um and immediately took to it, I was I spent the first couple of years just being super super just into it. I was like trying to learn how to draw anime style and all of this stuff and I was into one particular series, which is really, really bad anime. I would not recommend it to anybody, but that was the first series I was introduced mm-hmm. to, so I was very much into it. Uh, it was called uh, um, about, like, four super androgynous assassin pretty boys who, ru- who work in a flower shop by day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I was, like, trying to learn it, and I was trying to, like, learn more about the story and, like, just getting super into it. And this was 2003-ish. 2003, 2004. So I still had was that dial-up. No, this was after dial-up. But it was like you know earlier days of the internet where oh, yeah. everything was like GeoCities and Angel Fire and Tripod websites. And I was you know trying to find more information about the show, find more images, find all this stuff. And then I ended up like on what I didn't know was fan fiction. I just thought it was like like stories or like mm-hmm. novels or whatever that were just published around the show. I thought that it was official material. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I was like wow awesome and so I just started reading a bunch of them and you know I didn't know any of like the, the terminologies around it or whatever so I found myself reading one day and uh, and in the middle of it I was like wait a second and then I backtracked and then I read it through again and I was like holy shit this is sex not only is it sex it's two guys having sex and I think that was the first time that I was ever introduced to the idea of, of gay sex, like gayness. <laughs> um, and then just totally, and then just being like this kid that's just like, yeah, that's fine. And <laughs> not only is that fine, I think I'm into it. Um, <laughs> and then that's kind of, and then that became like my huge secret. Like, for, mm-hmm. like I knew that was completely tied into like, like this deep sense of shame. Um, especially with my, my family being so Christian mm-hmm. and like, not only was it like, sex i remember like my my brother was going through puberty and then my dad at this point i'm like 16 or 17 and like my dad confronts me one day and he's like what sites have you been going to and i'm like oh no he's found out <laughs> and then it, it turns out that my brother just didn't know how to use private browsing and so he like filled our family computer with pop-ups and and i'm just like why first of all why did you think it was me like, watching this like straight porn <laughs> um, but, yeah, and so that became, like, this huge dirty secret for me was that the fact that, like, I was really into, like, fandom gay erotica. Mm-hmm. Um, and then because of that, I was, like, trying to act like I wasn't really into anime. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was trying to, like, distance myself from that and distance myself from my friends who were, like, super fandom nerds. Um, and that, like, kind of carried over until for some reason, like, whenever like, I feel like it's so recent, but maybe it was in college where it, it totally became, like, a cool thing to be into anime, and I was like, you have not seen what I've seen. Uh, was kind of the thing. But yeah, so it's like, fandom was my first introduction to, to like, queer anything. And I think it was for a lot of people. People I've talked to in fandom, um, or who are very active in fandom, have oftentimes talked about it that way, as being, like, yeah, it was these online spaces were, like, the first time that people got to see and craft narratives uh, around queerness or around things that actually, like, reflected the way they want to be in the world. Um, I I personally don't attribute that much to fandom because I think there's a lot of, like, super toxic shit that happens in fandom narratives. But I do think that it's true that it's, like, a very, um, like, queer... Uh, friendly space to be in just because you're already taking licensed material and like putting your own spin on it so like why not make everybody gay like why not (laughs)
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um and then that kind of why not becomes like a like a okay thing like this is okay here this could be okay elsewhere um
0: sort of thing yeah okay and so fandom for you is happening online (laughs) mostly on tumblr or
1: yes mostly on tumblr i was i wasn't really super active in fandom like it, it was definitely for the portion of, of my life where i was pretending like i, I wasn't a part of it um i was just kind of <laughs> looking at the content but wasn't really doing much beyond that i did some fan art uh actually i did a lot of fan art but i wasn't really <laughs> posting it super a lot of places okay. um and then, yeah, when Tumblr came around and I realized Tumblr had a fandom community, I somehow... At that point, I'd kind of, like, left the anime fandoms and then I was... I was trying a lot for X-Men First Class, the movie. <laughs> um, I think that's that was what the majority of stuff I was selling at that particular anime convention, once again, because there's a lot of crossover between the fandom communities, um, was. And so I ended up getting on into the tumblr fandom through like live action fandoms um yeah so it was mostly through tumblr that i was like super active and i was super active for a couple of years Um, and then i had to leave because it was stressful and i hated it (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) i hope people don't think i'm dead i just like stopped posting (laughs) (laughs) that would be an interesting thing to like go back and see yeah yeah
1: it's still all up there. That's the thing. Like, I never take down things that I have put up on the internet. Um, it's just all kind of there for people. Like, it's a personal rule that I have. Like, even on Facebook, I don't untag myself. Um, it's just, yeah, like, my digital footprint is there for people to find it. I just, like, don't think I need to be, like, Guess there's, like, a ton of things I'm embarrassed about, but I don't think I have to be, like, ashamed of everything. And especially the stuff that I should be ashamed about, I want to leave up because I hate when people, like, Or like I'm reformed now and I'm a better person and I'm just gonna delete all evidence that I was ever shitty.
0: Mm. I think it's helpful to to show that you can be shitty and also (laughs) learn. Mm. Yeah, and that's something that like is kind of like a possibility of an internet archive, but at the same time like is something that is that like allows for curation, so not everyone does it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so then fan art mm-hmm. what did that look like what did that look like <laughs> um what do you mean <laughs> like what so you mentioned like x-men like i mean just like materials like what were you drawing mostly and what did that kind of like become you said you were like selling at like anime conventions mm-hmm. like were those, like, prints or...
1: Yes. Like, okay. um So, yeah, at conventions, I sold prints. Um. I definitely... Uh, this has a lot to do with what I was saying about distancing myself from fandom, where I was just like, I'm doing this convention to make money. Mm. I don't actually care. And so I ended up drawing a bunch of... Like, I would do, like, market research, um, figuring out which fandoms were popular, like, what kind of compositions got, like, the most shares, uh-huh. and like, what colors, like, what themes and sort of things and just kind of emulate that in my style. Uh, And that's kind of... So, like, the stuff that I do for conventions feels, like, a little outside of my participation in fandom for some reason, even though that's, like, the most public uh, way of doing it. But, like, on my actual, like, blogs, it was... I mean, I also got to a point towards the end where I was doing, like, a business. Um, And it did keep me afloat a lot of times. I would take commissions and things. Hmm. But, like, the... My content was, I made a lot of comics, not like full comics, but like short, like, um, yeah, just like humorous ones. Um, I did a lot of like one-off, like sketches, like s- sketch pages, um, a lot of stuff around like pairings that were popular in the fandom or like that I particularly liked. And then sometimes I would, like, sit down and do, like, a whole, like, composition that could that could be a print but wasn't intended to be where I was, like, pulling from, like, design, like, poster design and, like, illustration and all that stuff. So it, like, ran the gamut. Mostly it was, like, wish fulfillment for me or practicing techniques or, um, yeah, things like that. I did do some longer comics occasionally. Oh, I actually, I did a lot of alternate universe uh, stuff which is when, like, you take the source material, and of course fandom is, like, doing what you want in it, but then there's, like, the, the fandom stuff that takes place in the universe of the source material, and then there's alternate universe, which is you just, like, place it anywhere else. So, like, you know, it could be a contemporary show, but you can make an alternate universe where you put the characters, like, in the far future in space or things like that. So I made a lot of like alternate storylines and had a lot of fun figuring out how the characters and who they are and what they do translate over into this alternate world or or timeline or whatever. Um, And those really caught on with a lot of people who were into it, who were just into the universe of themselves with the help of being already attached to the character. Uh,
0: Yeah. Okay. And then so... Knowing that now you consider yourself, like, an artist and a curator, Mm -hmm. like, was that something that kind of, like, led into the current position as an artist, or do you see that as, like, a different trajectory?
1: I tried to keep them as separate as possible for (laughs) the longest time, (laughs) like, as separate as possible. I was so mad when people, when Pinterest came around, and people would repost my stuff from Tumblr, and bless them, they were trying to do good by me and credit the artist, which people always should do. Mm -hmm but I wish they would, they were crediting with my name, like my actual name, which I don't know how they got it because I was really trying to keep that under wraps on uh, the Tumblr so people wouldn't associate
0: yeah.
1: uh, it with me like in a professional capacity, but then they found it and it's just like, huh. great, that's that's my name right there on the Pinterest <laughs> under that Supernatural comic. Uh, and like it would pop up when people Googled me, like maybe even more so than my fine art, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, so I was trying to keep that as separate as possible. I did not think of them as overlap whatsoever. I was continuously trying to quit fandom um, and just like not have that be a part of my brand whatsoever. And it's, yeah, like me being able to talk about this right now is I've come a very, very long way um, and decided that this was just a funny thing. That's just a part of like the person that I am. And even though I'm like, why am I the way that I am? Uh, so, yeah, being like an artist and a curator, that was kind of like I I got into like art, like art capital A in in high school. Um, probably it might actually back then it might have had something to do with me being into anime, but I really don't think so because I was actively trying to hide my anime influences in art class. Um, always try to abstract, like always try to figure out ways to like make whatever I was doing. Doing have like an air of a white box um, mm. rather than <laughs> Tumblr. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and so like that was something that almost developed completely sideways of it. I was doing editorial illustrations for the school newspaper and then I got to college. Um, and the first couple of projects that I did in foundations class, uh, I actually started in Advanced Studio Foundation, which is you have to like submit a portfolio and instead of like. It, it, it basically the difference was that your projects were more like concept based rather than execution based because uh, they just assume that you don't need to be know how to shade or you don't need to be taught how to shade even though I would have appreciated being taught <laughs> how to shade. Um, so it's like for the first couple of ones, I responded like using like illustrative stuff like paintings that like similar to what I'd been doing in high school. And then our third project was uh, we had to make a Joseph Cornell box, and that was like my first foray into three D like and non-figurative 3d like so it wasn't like i'm not making like a tchotchke box with clay or whatever it's it was i decided for some reason as my first 3d project to make a telephone booth out of wood um (laughs) like you know seven feet tall like full you know you could sit in it and all that and god yeah i yeah and that was i guess like me just jumping into i'm gonna do like Art, capital A, conceptual art, like whatever that's gonna be. And this is completely separate from me worrying about doing anime because I was not building boxes like this uh, when I was drawing anime. <laughs> um, and then that became like its own trajectory where I uh, started working predominantly in 3D, in sculpture, in, illustra- in installation. Um, and it, it was to the point, oh, and then I started integrating, I was really into the new aesthetic when that was like a thing. Or, uh, the hottest of seconds
0: the new aesthetic.
1: oh yeah it's it's it was like a movement so to <laughs> speak uh in 2011 around then uh th- around 2011 i want to say i might be getting the dates wrong i could have started earlier but yeah it was a very very short-lived thing which got shoehorned into what is now known as post-internet art i think mm. um but the new aesthetic was like a bunch of artists making work and writing about uh the internet mm-hmm. um as it existed at the time. Uh, and so I got really into that and thinking about like digital art and like gifts as art and, and like memes is art. And, you know, I had like this whole show in college where I had just made like sculptures of memes that were popular at the time. Like I made like a functional neon cat sculpture yeah. based on that video. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, there was like a deal with it. Sunglasses that were like interactive. Um, you know, all this stuff. And yeah, so I did that. And then so yeah, it was like sculpture digital, internet y stuff. Um I remember we had a Bob Ross painting party with my with my thesis class, um, towards like right around graduation. And uh we held up our paintings and two of my friends who were who were like would like sculpture people with me like one of them turns to me and he just goes you can paint like you know how to paint i've never seen your paint before and i was like it's because i had it like i did not paint between like the first couple of paintings that i did um when i got into college and that bob ross painting at the end like i was just like i can't do anything 2d because it'll look like anime. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then I, I got over it. Like, I got to New York, and I've actually made a piece or two doing, like, anime body pillows and things, and, like, actual illustrations. Oh, I've done several pieces of actual illustrations, which I shied away from for fear of, of being too anime. Mm-hmm. Um, now that anime is popping up every fucking where, <laughs> especially by white people, it's so annoying, mm-hmm. I figured I might as well just, just go for it <laughs> <Just> <laughs> and try to figure out a way to, to integrate it. But yeah, that's, so that's kind of how I got into being like an, a capital A artist. Uh, but the curator thing, it was a little bit by accident. Um, I hadn't been curating seriously. My roommate, Jarrett Key, and I, we ran our apartment as a place called Bauhaus. Two words, not like a German school, because um, <laughs> Bau is like a term of affection that my friends use for each other. Mm. And Uh, we started Bauhaus kind of as a joke, uh, but it was because Jarrett got into making visual art after, uh, they'd moved to New York. Mm -hmm. So they had not, they were previously in theater. Mm -hmm. And so it was like a new thing for them. And they needed like, like both of us needed motivation to make work without school, um, and like figure out how to share it with people. And so we created the Bauhaus show. Um, which was once every six months, we just put up a show in our apartment. Um, it can be works in progress. It just has to be new. Mm -hmm. And the rule state that, you know, Jared and I always had to have work in it. Mm -hmm. And eventually we started like inviting other people to show work and then that became like a curatorial thing. Um, but it wasn't like heavy duty curating until 2016 when I, when my friend, Natty, who was working at Experience Gallery in Chelsea at the time, um, asked me if I wanted to oh, so this was 2015, late 2015. She asked me if I wanted to co-curate a show with her, like help her submit a proposal mm. um, to Spring Break Art Fair to mm. curate a booth. And so I was like, yeah, cool chill. let's do it. Um, and she had asked me because uh, it was like it was gonna be like a good division of labor, so to speak, because I was helping her out with, press releases and like I do a lot of language related stuff um I forget that I second my second major is in literary arts (laughs) but like write like I did get trained to write Mm -hmm. at some point (laughs) um and so yeah that that was going to be kind of like the division of labor was that she was totally cool with doing logistics and all that stuff but she needed help like writing the proposal and like doing that sort of thing and so I was like great yeah I would love to do this And so we ended up getting accepted, um, and that was, like, my first experience, like, really curating, like, Mm. having to think about um, how the show works together, how the pieces look in the room, uh, what the narrative we're trying to craft is, how to do justice to, like, the artist's, uh, like, own ideas of of their pieces and how they interact with the other ones in the show, doing studio visits with the purpose of, like... Um, figuring out how we're going to work things uh, in installation uh, when we're installing them and like all of this stuff it was like a complete crash course I was really glad to have somebody who (laughs) had professional gallery experience um yeah and so that was like a thing that we did together and then after that like I was just like great like this is that was like a really great way to have a conversation like to put artists that I am interested in in conversation with each other um it's basically the fastest way to do it you know yeah. <laughs> and that's good for everybody involved <laughs> and so yeah that's kind of how i got started in curating um i and then i was also working with codify at the time codify art is uh is one of the collectives that i'm a part of we're based in brooklyn we're all uh, qtpoc artists and creators ourselves um And we exist to kind of create, showcase, and produce work by artists of color, particularly queer, trans, and women artists of color. And uh, Codify started in 2015. I should get this right. Um, There was kind of a vague start at the beginning, so I don't know when we've decided our official date is. But uh, we had been doing primarily like theater-centric stuff beforehand. And so after uh, I did Spring Break with Natty and also with... With Jared, who's also part of Codify, getting more into visual art, um, we kind of shifted gears a little bit uh, to to do more visual art related stuff. And so there was more opportunities to to help curate exhibitions through Codify. Um, And so it was just like a matter of, like, you know, keeping tabs on artists that I like, uh, thinking about the show concepts that I wanted to explore, thinking about the conversations that I really wanted to see out in the world, um, and facilitating that. And, yeah, that's just kind of become, like, a thing that I've been doing consistently is curating. (laughs) Um,
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, And so it strikes me that, like, the – especially the curating part, like, comes about not, like, prior to, but, like, really in tandem with, like, collaboration, it seems like. Mm -hmm. And so, like, just how did you start to get into, like, an arts community in New York? Like, who did – how did you and Jared like become friends? Like, yeah.
1: Um. So Jared and I were actually we went to college together.
0: Mm. We were in that acapella
1: group together, <laughs> and uh, Jared is twins with John Key. Uh, I was friends with John first because John was already in the acapella group when I joined, and then Jared eventually joined later. Um. And so when I was, I actually right after I graduated, I moved back to LA for a few months just because I didn't know what I was doing in my life. Um. And then I ended up getting an internship in New York. Uh, at a publishing company and so I was like all right time to move to New York um I was talking with John and I was like oh by the way I'm moving to New York and he's like oh Jarrett needs a roommate and so we ended up getting a place together which was interesting because Jared and I were friends in college but we weren't super close um and then it just turned out to be like an awesome awesome thing that happened and now we like don't know how to live without each other so thank <laughs> god we're both going to grad school at the same grad school together <laughs> and just picking up our house and moving it there yeah um, <laughs> But, um, yeah, so it's getting into the arts community in New York was, am i am like trying to think of how that happened? <laughs> it happened so organically, it feels like, mm. um, because, you know, it's, I got to New York, a bunch of my friends were already here, a bunch of them were RISD graduates, and so they all had their artist friends, and everybody was kind of making work, and so we all had our own like networks of people that we had known from school or like people that we knew for, through our jobs. And then that turned into like inviting people to each other's sh- openings or parties. And then like getting to meet these people and like developing relationships. And then also when I first got to the city, it's just like, now I can't do this cause I'm old and tired, but like it was just going out like mm. to openings and to like uh, parties and just talking to people everywhere. Like, and just seeing the work, and if if I thought it was interesting, striking up a conversation and just, like, kind of keeping that going, and then, you know, and then the next time we meet, it might be a casual thing, and then they would have brought a friend, and I would have brought a friend, and it's, like, cool, and now everybody knows each other, and it just kind of, like, fans out from there. And so, like, organizing exhibitions or doing things with Codify kind of became, like, these flashpoints, almost, mm-hmm. of, like... Uh, where we got to consolidate the people that we had been cultivating, so to speak, um, in a in a casual capacity or like on an individual capacity. But we would have a more formal event mm-hmm. that we do. And then people would show up and then it kind of ratchets up like we have a relationship now um, from just like, oh, we've run into each other mm-hmm. in different venues. And so like continuously putting out programming, I think, has been really helpful in in maintaining and also growing uh, a network of people in the arts um, and like it's also the I feel like the cutie Pop community in Brooklyn is super small like I mean yes there's like a ton of us but like everybody's only like two degrees of separations max mm-hmm. um, and so it's like you know I'll meet somebody new and then like we'll just be talking and then they'll be like and mention somebody's name and just be like, wait, do you mean this person? (laughs) And being like, yeah. And I'm like, I don't know that person, but I know somebody who knows that person. Um, and so it just becomes like this thing where, uh, you can kind of reify these connections, um, through even the ones that aren't personally connected to you. Um, yeah, it's, it's nice. Uh, but definitely has a lot to do with just going out and talking to people who are doing cool things. Um, keeping tabs on on people who are doing similar stuff uh, like I remember I, I met a lot of people through disclaimer gallery when they were operating out of silent Barn because um, I really liked their mission and their programming um, and I thought like that was a cool thing uh, same with uh, Bufu or yellow jackets I when they were like first starting to do a bunch of programming I went to a couple of their events and then have kind of like kept tabs on them and tried to show up um, and you see like the same people and then you see new people and yeah, so showing up helps a lot. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay. And so what is the kind of, like, origin story of that of Codify?
1: Codify was, uh, we got started because we were all just friends in New York trying to make our own art. Um, and the first time we came together was uh, one of our founding members, Liz Morgan. Uh, she's no longer with the group, but she is a playwright. And so she had written a play, and it got accepted into a festival, I think. Uh, and she needed help putting it up, mm-hmm. basically. And we just had all the different skills that she needed. Like, she needed somebody to design a poster, and John knew graphic design. And she needed somebody to, like, help with, like, directing stuff. And Jarrett knew how to direct. And, like, at the time, I was, like, doing, like, some marketing internship or something. And so I knew how to, like, do analytics on social media. Like, <laughs> so, like, you know, we just kind of came together to, to help her put up her play and then when that happened we were like wait a second we have a bunch of skills like collectively Mm. um that we can put towards helping each other but also other queer and trans people of color to get their shit up because like there was no like none of us could have done that by ourselves like Liz couldn't have done it herself and like not one of us could have done the rest of the work for Liz on her own so it was just like we knew that we worked together and that we filled out our like different skill gaps. Um, we complemented our skill gaps really well. And so, yeah, we were just like, if we have it, like, let's be like a support network or like a production group that really works to help like people in our community, like put their shit out there. Mm-hmm. Cause so much of it is, has to do with access and has to do with like, you know, we all graduated from these elite fucking schools. Like, mm-hmm. Let's not just sit on our degrees. If we actually have access to the people that the schools give us, like access to, if we have all these skills that we supposedly graduated with, like let's let's go, let's go for it. Um, and I think that's kind of yeah, that is how Codify started was out of this desire to leverage what we had to to make it available for the people around us who would need it. Yeah, and of course, like our Codify specializations kind of shift and move depending on what the interests of the individual members of the group are. So like we've been super art, like visual art heavy in the past year and a half because the bulk of the group has been interested in visual art. But like earlier on when more pe- more of us were involved in theater and doing theater things, that was what we focused on. And so it kind of becomes like figuring out along the way how to set up infrastructure so that we're not neglecting the communities that we've made in these different disciplines as we like move to create programming based on what we're interested in investing our time in um and i think that's been super helpful there's like stuff that like we were into zines for a second i we still are like we have an ongoing project called survival library that we put up uh with pioneer Works school of the apocalypse and it's kind of like this online um hub of cute epoch feelings so to speak it, it basically like we proposed the project when um after the election when it was, I was, I was seeing a lot of like resource documents going around, like, like hard direct action resources, uh, like Google docs and all this stuff, like, um, where to get hormones if you need it, like where to forget abortions, like how to do direct organizing and all this stuff. And I thought the resource packets were great, especially as somebody who does like arts organizing, so to speak, which is, I think, super different from direct action and, um, and so, like, I don't know how to do, like, that kind of organizing. And so, like, that was very helpful to me. But seeing so many of those and, like, seeing that the reaction within the most marginalized communities was, like, how do we, like, literally give more of ourselves in order to continue existing um, made us, at Codify, think, like, where can people go to make sure they don't feel isolated Um and in like the emotional aspects of themselves and so we wanted to create like an not an equivalent hub but something similar to like a a sheet of like resources so to speak where people can just have works that talk about feelings as like a, a check against like gaslighting so to speak like it's like hey this is people are also having feelings about this and you can like read them and like relate to it and, and that's kind of the project that we had going and so Long story short, that was, like, we were doing a bunch of zine stuff and zine fairs and getting invited to zine fairs. And so, like, maintaining connections with those people has been really interesting when, like, we don't really do zines right now, (laughs) Um, like, actively. And so that, like, once again, it turned into showing up for things, like, showing up to, um, like, we may not be able to table at the zine fair, but we'll show up and attend it or do a workshop or something.
0: Yeah. And so this whole time you're... How are you just supporting yourself financially in New York? Uh, every every which way um, I currently
1: I am working part-time at Queer Art which is a nonprofit um, organization that was founded to basically address the mentorship gap um, left by the AIDS crisis uh, where young queer artists have lost essentially a generation of older established artists that could have help them out. So there's like this uh, queer art does like several programs. They do a film screening series at IFC Center where they bring in a queer artist or trans artist to talk about to screen and talk about a film that was uh, integral to their identity. Um and we also do a mentorship program that's like the flagship program where it's a, a year-long thing where people apply um and they get paired one-on-one with a more established queer artist to develop a specific project over the course of the year. Um, and yeah, so I work part-time th- as the programs and operations assist- assistant to that. So I just kind of do a bunch of stuff. Um, we're hiring now <laughs> for that position cause I'm leaving to go to grad school. Uh, so yeah, I do that. And then I also work part-time at Morco's Key Studio, Brooklyn-based design studio, um, doing like branding identity and strategy stuff and, I work as a designer in residence, which is a position that they have that I think is super interesting where it's, um, they bring in like an emerging designer, especially one that may be working, uh, more interdisciplinarily, mm-hmm. uh, so that, uh, they can get experience within like a real studio environment, a design studio environment, but also, uh, you're able to work on your own projects with the mentorship of the partners, mm-hmm. uh, So I think that's a super interesting, and it's paid, like it's like a paid job, so it's clutch. Um, Yeah, so I do those two part-time jobs, and I also work at Jane's Carousel in Dumbo. Uh, I don't work there like regularly anymore, but that was something that I was doing for a good chunk of time uh, before this year. Uh, And yeah, I just pick up shifts here and there, and so it's kind of cobbling together a living. I do some freelance work here and there. I used to design uh, freelance design book covers a lot. Um, that work has kind of dried up because publishing is dying. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, yeah, I've had a lot of like odd jobs, short-term jobs, a lot of, uh, service industry stuff here and there.
0: Yeah. Okay. And through the carousel, that's how you met Amber? Yeah. Okay. Mm Okay. Um, Amber is the person who like connected the both of us a couple months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Amber Hawks wants them, but yeah, so I guess I'm wondering now like where you see kind of like, okay first I want to ask how your kind of like personal, not to isolate it from like what you just described in terms of like collaboration and curation, but also like what your kind of like individual art practice development was like over that time too.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, my my individual art practice is super interesting because I was not convinced that I was going to continue making art um, after graduating from college in 2013. I just didn't know how to make things without a deadline. Mm. Um, It was not self-driven. And I thought artists were just people who had this insatiable urge to create. Like, you know, I just Mm. thought that's what you needed to be an artist. Like you would just be making anyway. And I didn't have that. I was just like, wow, I could just, like, I really made the wrong choice in doing this because originally I went to school to be a lawyer. And I was like, dang, I should have been a lawyer because if I don't care enough to stay being an artist, I might as well capitalize on my income potential. But, like, yeah, and so it was, like, probably the reason why I'm still doing art is the fact that I've landed within this arts community Mm -hmm. in New York and, like, made Bauhaus with Jared and, like, have been a part of Codify. And I think that's, like almost 100% to credit for the fact that I still make art. Um, But yeah, so a couple where I'm currently at with my practice, I spent a lot of time, like, by a lot of time, I mean the first couple of years that I was in New York, just making like random projects, like one-off stuff, just trying to figure out what my art looks like when I don't have an assignment. Or, I mean, I didn't, I was still doing my own thing in college, but like the new aesthetic was dead. I didn't (laughs) want to make meme art anymore. And so I was just like, I don't know what to make anymore. And uh, I don't know what to talk about. And part of that had to do with, I really, I was refusing to make identity art. Mm. Um, I just was like, I don't want to talk about my personal experience. And I was that way in my writing. I was that way in my art practice. I was like, I don't want to do that. That's not interesting to me. Um, I don't want to do like sappy memory shit. Like I want to make white man art. Mm. Um, like <laughs> I want to talk about like, Philosophy. <laughs> uh, and that was just such a roadblock. Like, first of all, I'm really bad at reading theory, so I can't talk about philosophy. And like, and you know, so I was just making some some like things here and there, and eventually it got to a point where like I was seeing all of my friends make some really excellent identity art. And it's like I don't even want to call it identity art because it's a fucked up term and it shoehorns a lot of people, but I'm using it as a shorthand here. Yeah. But basically they're making art about their own experiences and it was in ways that were super compelling um and in ways that like i just didn't picture mm. um like art about your own experiences it, it had like a gravitas that i was not letting myself see mm. in in personal art so to speak even though all art everywhere is just uh, externalization of subjective interiority <laughs> um So, yeah, finally I was like, okay, okay, I'll do it. I'll, I'll like, I'll talk about being Korean. I'll talk about being queer. I'll like talk about being a second gen immigrant. I'll do all of that. Um, And yeah. And so I started with, oh, and I'll talk about like, that I accidentally was into anime. So I think the first project (laughs) that I did uh, where I, after doing that were three illustrations that had QR codes and there was like an English, Korean, like wordplay that, it was American iconography as the actual subject, and, et cetera, and like uh, that was the first time that that went up in the first Bauhaus show, mm-hmm. and that was the first time that I had shown my illustrations and called it art mm-hmm. like that. Uh, and starting from there, I spent a lot of time kind of struggling once again. Now was a new struggle because I was like, what is the visual vocabulary that I want, and what is the style that I want to use if I am going to talk about my personal experiences? Mm-hmm. Um, and I had been using a lot of QR codes in the past, once again, because of how I worked with like digital stuff. And I wanted to move away from that because nobody uses QR codes and like nobody was seeing the the whole piece because nobody had a QR scanner. And so I was like, okay, let's just give that up. Um, and so what what does my work look like now? And I spent a lot of time making throwaway pieces, like shit that just doesn't, that has like relics from like when I was making like weird, like kitschy meme art. Um, <laughs> And trying to do this thing, and and it was it was bad. I like forgot about a bunch of it. I only remembered it recently when I was like cataloging stuff, and I was like, I can just delete that. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then eventually, I, I, I struck on. Um, I was like, okay, so what am I into? Like, what do I actually enjoy? Um, like, what are the aesthetics and what are the ideas? And it was science fiction. That was I was reading a bunch of sci-fi at the time, and I, also was. Um, having a lot of conversations regarding techno orientalism, um, and about kind of the conflation of East Asian identity with uh, technological progress, and how that has a lot to do with like you know foreignness and otherness and and male fantasies of cyberpunk jacking into things like mm-hmm. um, etc. And so I ended up taking the science fiction take and thinking about food uh, and how like. Uh, food as being a marker of the other and like there's the whole microaggressions stories uh, about growing up Asian where it's like your food as has always been the strongest marker of the other as a kid because like you can't bring your lunch and open it without somebody saying something mm-hmm. um, and so yeah that's kind of how I got into doing like sci-fi like food related aesthetics with uh, with like Korean like mukbang footage mukbang being like the South Korean phenomenon where like people just live stream themselves eating absurd amounts of food um yeah so that's kind of where that project started it really took off when I went to Korea for the first time in 2016 I just like went by myself um for a couple weeks and yeah that was a really amazing time um but then when I got back it was I entered into this period of thinking about okay cool like I always thought that if I went to Korea it'd be chill um like my Korean's not perfect but it's definitely not bad and I'm I'm going to be in like a majority Korean place. Sweet. Like, yeah, this is going to be the place where I'm not foreign. And then that was totally not the case. I was definitely foreign. Um, when I was in Korea, like, I didn't even have to open my mouth. Like it was just straight up, like being stared at in the streets, like, um, just being asked questions all the time. Like I would be speaking in Korean and I don't have an accent or anything. And like people would still like answer me in, in broken English. It was like very interesting interactions. Um, and so yeah, when I, once I got back, I was like, great. So I can't, so I, I'm i foreign here, I'm foreign there. Like, um, where like where can I go? Like, where should I go? And like, in like a fit of just like frustration, I, I ended up Googling the exact midpoint um, between Seoul and LA and New York. And it's in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, of course. And I was like, great. So I guess that's where I have to go. And then that kind of launched what the whole of like of um, all the art I've been making in my own practice has just been like from trying to answer the question of if that is where I have to be to be home, how do I make a home there? And then it became like this whole sci-fi thing of like evolving for underwater survival and like thinking about like salvage and materials that will last after the climate, after climate change fucks things up. So like using climate change allegory to talk about displacement and talk about diaspora. And that's kind of been like, the thing that I've been working on since twenty early twenty sixteen. Um just developing this world, developing the various timelines in it.
0: Okay. And so with that kind of trajectory in your art and also in curation, now that we're getting to the end of the interview, um I'm wondering about your thoughts for like where you are at now in terms of those practices and the decision to go back to grad school to
1: go to grad school. Uh, the decision to go to grad school it was a very fraught one. Um, basically, I was not planning on going to grad school, like or applying to grad school this cycle. I was planning on applying to grad school this coming cycle, and not for. I'm about to go to RISD for graphic design. I wanted to apply to the MIT program in art, culture, and technology uh, for this upcoming cycle. And that was kind of the plan that I was working towards. Um, But I ended up last September, so September 2017, right when applications for grad school were opening, uh, I ended up having this kind of awful phone conversation with my mom um, that ended with her being like, yeah, well, it'd be nice if I had a child who could support me there. I said it. Uh, (laughs) And like, you know, this has always been kind of in the back of my mind, Um, my... Like, you know, my parents are immigrants. They're not wealthy. Um, I went to college on a full scholarship. Like, I just... And I have always struggled with my choice to not become a lawyer uh, Mm -hmm. to study art because it was... It seemed, like, very selfish in a lot of ways Um, because, like, I knew it wasn't economically viable. I knew I... And, like, I couldn't ask for support from my parents. And if anything, I should be able to support them. Mm -hmm. And so it was like this, this whole thing. So having that conversation with my mom, I was like, you know what? You're right. You're right. I'm struggling. You're getting older. I can't go to law school now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I would die, but, <laughs> but I can do something that's a little more like economically viable. Hmm. Um, and so I was like, let's, you know, I, my heart wasn't in it though. I only applied to two programs like RISD and Yale. They're like the top programs in graphic design in the country and I'm just like if I get in I'll get it I get in if not I'll just apply to MIT next year like you know so it was very much like that kind of attitude Okay. um and then I'm getting in so I was like oh no okay um I'm excited I am excited mm-hmm. but uh it's definitely like my the way that I convince myself that it's gonna be fine is I'm like I'm gonna Trojan horse a fine art MFA out of this mm-hmm. program like I'll, I'll do all the requirements and I'll do what I need to be able to like be a graphic designer that can market myself as one um, and my goal is to like work for some evil corporation and get paid a lot of money mm-hmm. so it's like I'll study towards that but like any electives any extra time that I have I want to like take classes in the actual things that I want to learn mm-hmm. um, and I'm also hoping that studying graphic design will uh, will factor into my art art practice as well because I'm at a place in my art practice It actually, the timing kind of worked out great because I am a little tired of the underwater world that I've been building, or that as a primary metaphor. Um, And I have a couple of new research projects that I want to start on uh, for my art practice, one having to do with like the Korean high-speed rail, uh, Final Fantasy X, and uh, the Koreatown Plaza, which is like this 80s mall in LA that's like beautiful mint, pink, gold colors on the inside with a fountain, and I grew up basically in it. And I learned recently that the rooftop was a, was, a, um, was a shooting point during the LA riots. Like Korean shop owners kind of used it as a lookout hmm. and would shoot down into the streets. And so I was like, I want to do this project that kind of ties all these elements together. So that's been, like, you know, a, a research project that'll take a couple of years at least. Mm-hmm. So it's like everything that I make now, even the stuff that I'm working on now in the underwater world, it needs a publication is mm. how I conceive of it is like there is a written and published published component to everything that I'm making from now on. And so yes, studying design makes total sense because it'll allow me to actually create this component of the work. I also use a lot of text in the videos that I use in my work and like knowing like how to choose typefaces and how to like set it so that it's aesthetically pleasing, like <laughs> is also something that I think would work. So I'm, I'm convincing myself in all these ways. Um, yeah. So that is, where I am moving forward um, my friend I was having a conversation with a friend of mine when I was really stressed out about doing this grad the decision to go to grad school and like to study graphic design um, and she's a painter mm-hmm. and you know I was just like man I you know like I finally feel like like my art is taking off in New York <laughs> and like I feel like um, you know what if what if I pump the brakes and I can never, like, what if I'm just giving up on all of it? And she's just like, Well, when are you done with school? I was like, I'll graduate when I'm thirty. And she's like, Well, then do art after you're thirty. <laughs> I was like, Oh. She's like, Yeah, it's not like, like you'll do it till you die, right? Like, yeah. I was like, Right, right. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm telling myself now is like, there isn't a time limit for this thing. Is like, I'm still doing it despite it not giving me anything financially because this is what i'm going to be doing in my time anyway which is how i originally conceived of an
0: artist and somehow i've landed there so <laughs> that's i think a really funny place to land yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah is there anything you feel like you missed or that you want to mention
1: i feel like i spent way too much time talking about fandom <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, I think it's interesting as, like, a marker, as a specific point in a kind of, like, queer internet history that happened. But, yeah, I can see the kind of, like, yeah, the desire to keep a distinction. That totally makes sense. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I think that's it for me. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much.
1: Thank you.